I say these words to give us meaning of the world around us, but I want you to stop and just think about what that means. You're understanding things around you, and the meaning that you place on that determines your reality. It's time to get inside your own head. Begin with the psychology behind your behaviors. Infuse it with an acute understanding of self-awareness, emotion, storytelling, body language, and more. Then look at it all through the lens of the latest neuroscience research, broken down to its most digestible form. And you've arrived. Enhanced messaging, deeper connection, heightened influence, and a greater impact on the world. Welcome to the Amplify Podcast with Renee Rodriguez. Hey everyone, welcome to the Amplify Podcast. This is our second season. And in fact, we decided to go with a different name before we were the neuro side of influence and leadership. And it was, uh, it was just a harder name to find. So uh, I think we just went with our brand and just kept it to Amplify. Keep it simple, easy to find. And so we're glad you're here for our second season. So I want to kick us off right away with this concept of the narrative gap. If you've seen one of my keynotes or you hear me talk about things, if you've read any of my articles, that's something that's been very prevalent to me because in all my years of looking at neuroscience and looking at specifically influence, it's amazing how things tend to sort of narrow in on something that just comes up over and over and over again. And when something comes up over and over again, to me, it's, it's a sign of truth. There's something going on here that really helps explain a lot of things. In last season, we talked a lot about framing. And if you haven't gone there, go listen and understand framing and that idea because narratives are very similar. They're, and they can almost be used interchangeably. I'd say a frame is maybe the parent to what a narrative, or so frames create narratives. And so let's, let's talk about narrative. A narrative is basically a way of organizing and understanding events or experiences. It's a constructed story or like maybe a set of stories that helps us give meaning to like a, a specific set of sequence of events. And so narratives are used to understand the world around us. They help us provide framework and help us interpret and basically to make sense of the events that we encounter. And so as something happens, it's basically how you explain it to yourself. They help us understand cause and effect, I think, which is really big. If you look at somebody who does the same thing over and over again, or maybe yourself, you're doing the same thing over and over again, maybe we're lacking awareness on what caused that effect. And so it sounds so simple, but yet it's so incredibly critical to understand what we do and its effect. And so that cause and effect is also a big component of self-awareness. And so that cause and effect is huge. It helps us understand cause and effect. It, it's the connection between different events and experiences. And they can be personal. Basically, like our life story is a, is a narrative. And they can be shared in terms of like a, a community. So for the community I live in, we have a certain narrative that we all function from. Just like in business, by the way. That's the culture. And so it, obviously it's fictional too. So like all the stories and movies that we watch all are based on narratives. But basically in this context and how I want us to talk about it, it's that there are mental constructs. Okay, they're mental constructs to help us understand reality, but more importantly, to give meaning to our experience of the world around us. Okay, so I say these words to give us meaning of the world around us, but I want you to stop and just think about what that means. You're understanding things around you. And the meaning that you place on that determines your reality. Some people, and you've known this, people go into certain experiences and they may go to a networking event and walk out and say, wow, 
we're doomed. Nothing happening. In fact, a lot of you listening right now might be in an industry that is going through difficulty right now. And if you listen to what people are talking about, go to social media, the narrative might be very negative. And we understand that if we buy into that, guess what? Our brains start to only see that. But maybe you're part of a business within maybe a down market, but a business and have a leader that can show you new opportunities. And you operate from a very different narrative. This is critical in understanding our reality, if you will. And so I want to give you sort of four examples of how narratives play out. I want to give you a personal one. I want to give you a business one. I want to talk about politics and how they're used there and even in advertising. And so personal, if you think about just our own personal life story, how do you tell your story? How do you tell it to kids when you're introduced and somebody asks you? Do you say, well, we, you know, we grew up, we didn't have much money and uh, you know, my parents were, were abusive. Now, they might have been abusive and you might have been poor, but I'd also venture to say that a lot of people grew up poor. A lot of people grew up with parents that maybe weren't at their best behavior. And maybe we're parents right now that aren't on our best behavior. But it's how do you explain that? I know people that grew up poor say, you know, I grew up poor. It's probably one of the best things that ever happened to us because it gave me appreciation for what, what is that I have now. Or I grew up poor and it gave me a drive to, to never be that way again. And so that's a different narrative and it's, it's a different way of thinking about it and looking at the world. It influences our beliefs, our values, but more importantly, those beliefs and values then lead to how we behave. So somebody who grew up in poverty may have the narrative that shapes reality by influencing their belief in their ability to achieve financial success. I used to call it a poverty mentality. I grew up with not a lot of money. My mother was a former nun. I mean, she didn't give a shit about money. <laughs> so, you know, I personally have had to go through just years of mental resets and mindset shifts and be surrounded by the right people just to allow money to come back into my life. And even right now, you know, we're doing pretty good, but I'm around people that are doing 10 times, 100 times what I'm doing. And I'm going, gosh, what mental mindsets and roadblocks am I running into? What narrative am I playing out? You know, I, I tend to play out a narrative of always over giving too much work, right? And working too much. And the narrative meaning is if we sell a product maybe at a higher price, I'll tend to add more days of work to it. And it's not a sustainable way of thinking versus how do I add more value? So if me that value equals time, that's a narrative that I got to shift. And so now from a business perspective, now if you think about a company can shape its reality of even its employees and its customers. For example, a company that promotes a culture of innovation. You're always thinking differently and creativity is a massive part of every single meeting. That probably will attract and retain employees who are more likely to be innovative and creative if they're attracted to that. Now maybe that will also begin to repel those that might be less creative and more logical. It might be an annoying kind of a meeting or highly stressful meeting where people are just always being creative and how are we going to quote unquote get down to business? And if they're perceived as more innovative and creative by their customers, you're probably going to attract customers that are looking for that. Again, this narrative shapes the reality in everyone's eyes and it has to be, it, it, it is expressed in its personal brand and the business brand, what we say, how we do the colors, etc. Politics obviously shape reality in, in the narratives we use because if we can influence people in how they believe, and the behaviors of citizens, then we also not control votes. So examples, a narrative in politics that maybe emphasizes the importance of national security, right? That national security if might cause fear, and if somebody then solves that fear, we're gonna vote for them. And so that might justify increased government spending and defense, and 
all sorts of things. You know, foreign policies affected here. I mean, there's so many things here versus some, uh, maybe another political view might be around social justice and that, that if we have to then save the world or help the world. There's so many different ways to then trigger the emotions that are triggered through these narratives. And so last one, I think about advertising. So advertising and is all about story and narrative, right? The great book, you know, Building Your Story Brand, it's about controlling the narrative that surrounds your brand. And that influences the perception and behaviors. Advertising campaigns that emphasizes maybe environmental uh, benefits of a product. And so that might be the narrative. It's gonna lead to increased sales among environmentally conscious consumers. And and it might avoid those that are that just don't have any relation or connection to that. Somebody that might want a, a different story to be a part of. If what's interesting about that is when I say story to be a part of, what it means is, is do I identify with that? Do I personally relate to that? It's the Apple versus Android or Windows PC conversation versus Apple. A lot of people don't see themselves as an Apple user or they don't see themselves as a Windows user. And that's a personal identity. What am I saying to the world? Now, that's a fascinating topic because it does drive billions, if not trillions of dollars of spending behavior. What's fascinating too to me is that narratives have been in our study of neuroscience for years, psychology. It's been around and it's finally started kind of making its way into mainstream language. And so I want to, I want to talk about a couple different studies that, that happened that really start shaping my understanding of it. One was uh, published in the Journal of Cognition and that they entitled this The Role of Storytelling and in the Construction of Reality. Now think about that. It's a beautiful like title. I've been saying that their storytellings are constructs of reality or narratives are constructs of reality or even frames. Storytelling is a framing device. And you're starting to see how all of this starts to connect. But basically, they found that people use storytelling to, to construct and convey their understanding of reality. The study found that people are more likely to, be, to believe and remember information that's presented in a narrative format. So what does this mean to you? Think about this. You want more referrals. You want to be remembered. That's part of what branding is all about. Memory is such a critical piece of all of this. And if you can be more memorable, then in the time of pur purchase, you'll be top of mind. And so marketing is about being top of mind, being somebody that comes to mind, right? The brand. When I think this, I think this person or this brand or this individual or this company, and they can solve my problem. In a sales perspective, being memorable will drive referrals because selling and marketing is different. Selling is about creating and uncovering unseen value and, and that hustle about getting in front of as many different people and really showing them a powerful presentation to let them see value that they maybe weren't aware of. Marketing, people have come to their own awareness in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's through some ad or some commercial and whose brand is the one that's responsible for that narrative and then they're the ones that can also provide the solution. And so from a personal standpoint, this is another study that was done in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology Review. Now this one, they call this the self-narrative. The self-narrative. Now we're talking about narratives that construct reality, but what's our self-narrative here? They found that people's personal narratives or stories they tell about themselves play a huge role in understanding their own self-concept and understanding who they are. If you've ever been to Amplify, one of the things that we begin with is understanding who you are. What's your story and who are you? What do you believe? What are your values? These are critical things that sadly so many people ignore. They ignore it. 
And it's one of those things that has to be there because it's what drives our behavior, whether consciously or unconsciously. Who are you in this world? And guess what? If you ignore it early on, you, it will come and bite you later on. You'll ask yourself at the end of your work, at the end of your sort of career, so who, who am I? And, and what have I done? And who have I helped? Understanding the personal narrative is huge. And so what story, listen to what stories you tell about yourself. Now, from a business perspective, there's another journal called Organizational Dynamics. And this one they called the role of storytelling in organizational sense-making. Think about that for a minute. Organizational sense-making. So it's making sense of the organization. And what they found is that storytelling is key in the process of how organizations make sense of their experiences. What does that mean? Okay, and they construct reality through that. If an organization basically is explaining maybe its failures in a certain way, that might lead to a continual improvement process to say, okay, we don't want to do that again. But what if an organization is blaming the market or blaming something outside of its control? That's how they made sense of it. What changes can they make based on that narrative and that understanding or that sense-making? And so that study found that stories help organizations identify patterns make more connections, and also make sense of complex situations. Just So think organizationally, but now think about you. How important is it for you to understand patterns, things that just tend to repeat over and over again? It's critical. If you read the book, we talked about the three Ps, predict, preempt, prevent. The first P, predict, is about patterns. If you are paying attention to what's going on around you, you will identify patterns, things that are happening over and over and over again. And if you have that sense of self-awareness, you have that discipline to say, here's a pattern that I'm seeing, then can you engage in the second P, a preemptive strategy, in order to prevent it? This comes in form of predictable objections to what you're selling. This comes in all sorts of forms. And so to be able to make sense of complex situations, some people look at them as puzzles and are excited by it. They love the challenge. Some people look at complex situations and say, you know, my, that makes my head hurt. Some people look at complex situations and say, you know, I know the right person for that. But you've got to be able to make connections between the patterns and understand its complexity. So another business application of this comes from another journal. This is the Academy of Management Review. This one they called the Narrative Study of Organizational Communication. And so the organizational communication, this is I can't express how important it is that leaders understand their role in how they communicate to their entire organization. Even if you have an organization of one or two, you are communicating something. Now, they found that organizational communication is often based on a narrative constructions of reality. So it argues that the, that the stories that organizations tell themselves, their goals, and their experiences shape the way employees and even stakeholders different than shareholders, stakeholders, understand and respond to their organization. So think about this if you're recruiting, okay? So how you're communicating internally and externally is going to create a narrative, which is another way of saying your brand. It's what I hear over and over from you. How do you view, do you view the world as an opportunity right now or do you view it as a, as a, con, a contraction? We gotta really protect what's going on. That's gonna influence how your employees see it and how stakeholders. Stakeholders are people that have a stake in the success of your business. It's also your shareholders, you know, so it, it's both of those, but there is a difference. It's worth a Google. And so understand how they respond to you. Are they gonna invest in you? Are they gonna buy from you? Are they gonna are they gonna refer you? That's a response. Those are all responses. And so the stories that you tell are gonna determine those things. I want to go into this other piece here because there's a science that has been haunting me in the most, the most beautiful way for the last several years. And something that I never thought I would 
really get into. And if you know me, what I tell people, if I'm talking about something on a podcast or if I'm talking about something on stage, I've been researching it and playing with it for two to three years. And I am incredibly excited about this concept of what we call vision science. Now, vision science typically is is the study of the visual system, right? And how the body works. And I thought, what? I, mean, I like psychology and neuroscience. But it encompasses a much wider thing, a much wider range of topics like physiology and neurophysiology, psychology, optics, and perception. Now, when I realized that it had to do with psychology and perception and the role that our optics play in how we perceive, that made all the sense to me because my favorite classes were psychology of sensation and perception. But when you think about our, our visual process affects our perception and our perception equals reality, we're talking about narratives that construct reality. So this field of study aims to understand how the visual system processes information. Basically how it interprets or makes sense of the visual world. Think how it interprets and makes sense of the visual world. So this is huge because what we see, this is kind of our favorite, if you will, sense is our vision. It's the one that's most prevalent and gives us probably the most information. And the way we see it, we're taking in all the stimuli. So how do we make sense of it? It's not just what we think, but it's also what we see. And there are fascinating things that affect how we see things and also things that we can manipulate for ourselves to perform better. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And so it also how it interacts with the other parts of the brain. And so the visual cortex sends messages to even our sensory inputs. It sends it to our motor cortex, how we behave, our emotional centers, things that maybe uh, trigger the adrenaline fight, flight, freeze response. So the visual science to me is so incredibly important. So by understanding it, it helps understand how successful people also view the world. They view it in, a, in very different ways than others. It can help us understand how successful people are able to perceive a process of visual information more effectively, so which can be like a hugely important skill in art design and even marketing. It can help us understand how successful people are able to use visual information to make better decisions, which probably is one of the most important things like in business and finance. So the way they view things helps us make financial decisions personally and professionally. It can help us, help us understand how successful people are better able to use visual information to communicate more effectively. Think about that. How can they use visual information to communicate more effectively, which is huge in leadership and especially public speaking and influence. And so understanding this, and I, and I want to almost create an enticement for you to start studying this on your own, looking it up. And there's a great book by Emily Balsettis. I have it right here next to me. And it's clearer, closer, better. Dr. Emily Balsettis. If you followed Huberman Lab, he talks about this. In fact, Dr. Andrew Huberman, is, he's a, I think he's a vision scientist as well. So if you like Huberman, you like vision science. So overall, vision science is going to help us understand how successful people view the world by basically giving us an insight on how visual information is processed, perceived, and also used in how we make decisions. So I talk about three studies because this is, I think these studies are important. When we, when we look at the research behind it, it's fascinating to me. So one of them that was studied in the Journal of Psychological Science, okay, this visual science, it was, it was actually the visual influence of product color and perceived quality. Basically, this study, this is one that, and I think we know this already, but the study found that consumers tend to perceive products that are colored red, <clears throat> look at our background, as a higher quality than those that are colored blue. Now, that was fascinating because our original brand was actually blue. And as we created the Amplify brand, it just started catching on more. And we said, oh, we kind of like it more. But when I, the more and more I researched it, 
it's a stronger brand. It's a stronger color. Now, based on the message that we're trying to create. And so not for everyone, because I also love blue. So it's just, it's about what you're trying to create, the narrative you're trying to create. In the implications of business suggest that choosing the right color, basically, for a product can influence consumer perceptions of its quality, and that quality will then influence sales. So something to think about. Look into the color of your logo. What, what's the science say about the color? So there's another study in the Journal of Consumer Research. Now they call this one, Seeing the Forest for the Trees. How visual context and consumer judgments are formed. Now that found, in the way in which products are presented visually, okay, this, is, this one is always fascinating to me. The way I present a product visually can impact how the consumer judges it and decides. So it's not just about throwing. This is about presentation, by the way. This is all about presentation. And, and presentation is controllable. You can control it. This is something you have 100% control over. It's not something that happens to you. It's not something that is anywhere else. You control presentation. And so, you know, if the corner of a proposal is, is, is bent, that's presentation. It's also found that when products were presented in a cluttered visual context, so if it was cluttered, and maybe your product, your presentation is your desk, is it cluttered? It found that consumers were less likely to notice them and less likely to make a purchase. So clutter equaled stress, and you, I couldn't see the product, meaning it was just too much stimulus, and so no purchase. So clean your environment, clean the presentation, make it really easy to understand. That's why designers love the concept of white space, but it, it appeals to more than just that in design. Also had implications for business. It, it suggested that visual presentations of products can influence consumer attention. Attention. We're talking about attention. Remember, you've heard me say that we're in the age of attention. So the presentation of the stage, if you're a meeting planner and you didn't put any attention to the stage, how are we going to capture attention? It, visually, it's so critical to have those visual aesthetics and optics do matter, especially with purchasing decisions. And so another one I'll just talk about here, this is in the Journal of Marketing Research. They call this one the influence of visual complexity and prototypicality regarding product evaluations. So think about that. Don't, it's a mouthful. But it found that visual complexity of a product can influence consumers' perceptions of its value and quality. Again, another one. If you're, let's say you've got a call to action. And I have wrestled with this for years, and I have been guilty of it as well, where you present it in a complex manner. Maybe verbally, and you're using things that, that cloud people's understanding. Then it leads to less decisions being made. People won't act on that. So you have to present things in a clear fashion. And so if you do that, people are perceiving of higher quality. Again, that same term, higher quality, which means more purchases and a higher price. And then people will make more decisions to work with you. So let's think about this. I just kind of want to wrap this up a little bit. Vision science is really designed to help influence people. This is how I think about it. It helps us influence people by providing insight to how visual information is processed, perceived, and how we make decisions. If you're listening to this, you need to be a student of how people make decisions because if people make decisions, everything comes from that. Influence is about decisions that people make to move, move towards you or away from you, move towards your product or away from your product, to work with you or not to work with you. So the process of decision-making is huge. You have to look into it. You have to understand it. You have to understand how design it can be more effective in certain ways and less effective in visual communications and the way that we respond and perceive these visual pieces. So we also have to think about how we understand visual elements such as color, contrast, and layout. 
and how that affects people's perceptions. Understanding all of this stuff, we can design things now with more visual components in mind, more intentional behind it, so we can grab people's attention. This comes. This is huge in social media, by the way. This is why the important title card on every social media video is what will determine the scroll stop. If it's something that grabs my attention, there's a visual component to it. I have to be able to read it. There's an understanding, but it's gotta be quick. Color matters, all of those things matter. I wanna leave you with this, because what does all this mean? And I wanna leave you with a tool. The tool is, is simple. It's called attentional narrowing. Attentional narrowing. Basically, it refers to the phenomenon that when people focus their attention on a specific task or goal, the result is they become less aware of their surroundings. So attentional narrowing, the ability to narrow in on a task, helps us improve performance, basically by allowing us to concentrate all of our mental resources on that task at hand. So there was one study that was done this is in that book I was telling you about, Emily Balsettis. And it was she was studying, I'm giving you the short version because I want you to read her. I want you to, I mean, I, she's pretty, pretty cool. Basically, they were studying a group of ridiculously successful, I think even Olympic runners. And the thought was that maybe, it, you know, they must be super aware of their surroundings. If they're that elite, they've got to be really aware. And in conversations with them, what they found was that, in fact, it was the opposite that they were so focused on what was going on. Their attention, their periphery went away and the attentional narrowing began. And what was it focused on? The next target. It wasn't about the end part of the race. If you're running a marathon, you're not thinking 26 miles or how many miles down, you're thinking about that next milestone. And the clearer you can get on that next piece, the more your resources are there and the, even I think the more dopamine is secreted to help support you. In essence, in sports, it can help athletes improve performance by allowing them to focus on the task at hand. Let's say in baseball or making a tackle. Right? Baseball players use that attentional narrative to focus on a pitcher's release point. I mean, they're, they're, they're looking at when the ball is being released because it is considered impossible to hit a baseball. So they're making decisions far before that ball is even released. Think of that ability to narrow in. And if you're focused on the audience, like I used to be able to predict who was gonna win a fight by who's looking into the audience versus who doesn't even see the audience. It's critical. Same is true in speaking. If you're about to go on stage and you're concerned with everything else and your, your periphery is screaming at you versus are you honed in on your message, one of the things you can do is literally focus on a point on the wall for 30 seconds. Just focus on that. Then try it for a minute. It just really hones you in and think about that little point and what you're going to be going through. If from a business perspective, it helps employees improve their performance. Allowing them to focus again on specific tasks. Salesperson may even use attentional narrowing to focus on closing a deal and filter out distractions like emails and phone calls. Are we all distracted by emails, phone calls, scrolling social media? This is attentional narrowing. In fact, I just bought a little timer. It has you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. So six sides. And if I want to focus on something for 10 minutes, I just put the 10 up, put it down, and it's automatically starting to count 10 minutes. What I found for me is that that gives me really like a massive self-awareness around what am I focusing my attention on. From a selling perspective, it helps the salesperson improve their performance by allowing them to focus on customers' needs and filter out other distractions like potentially competitors. Salesperson may use attentional narrowing to focus in on the pain points. What is, what is somebody struggling with? And really then focusing on listening to them instead of thinking of a response. Because you're, you're not narrowing your attention if you're thinking of your response. Overall, this concept of attentional narrowing can help you improve performance on all aspects. It allows us to really get honed in 
So I want you to study it. I want you to think about it. I want you to try staring at a dot on the wall before you have to do something. I want you to use timers. And I want you to think about what's that next goal that is within your reach, visually there, to help you get to that. Use it for workouts. Use it for anything you can. So thank you for listening to our first episode. I am I'm so excited for this season. Uh, I think we've got a lot of really cool things. I'm going to be doing some really fun interviews. And uh, if you like this, please share it. If you don't have the book, get the book. Whether it's over there on my other side. Get the book. Amplify your influence. We, and then please share the podcast. If you're interested in attending our two-day event, three-day event, please send us a message. Go to meetrene.com and click on Amplify. We also have our amazing academy. That's a monthly coaching program with our virtualized training in Amplify. A lot of really fun stuff that's happening this year. Don't forget about our virtual events that we're doing every quarter and our annual AmCon event. So thank you for your attention today. Thank you for your time. And I look forward to seeing you at the next session. Thank you for sharing this time with us. If the experience resonated with you, follow us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or AmplifyMyLife.com. Share it with anyone else who's ready to amplify their lives. And remember to let our hearts speak in sequence. For more from Renee Rodriguez, visit meetrene.com.